This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. We realized that the companies that were implementing the flywheel successfully were all like massive disruptors in their industry. And what we realized was that they were not technology disruptors. Like it wasn't their unique tech that was causing the disruption. It was actually the customer experience that was causing the disruption. That's the voice of John Dick. He's the vice president of marketing at HubSpot. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hey there, I'm Michael Momsen. So Michael, today we are talking to HubSpot about how and why they killed the traditional sales funnel. Oh, that's juicy. (laughs) HubSpot's a great organization if you're not familiar. Yes, they are a CRM, but uh, they're effectively invented the term inbound marketing. So they have all the tools um, to help you uh, create content to get customers to come into you as opposed to just having to advertise uh, towards them. And they're a great success story. They listed on the stock exchange. They've 3x their stock value and uh, they're really, really onto a great thing. So an absolute fantastic conversation because we don't say that it's about tech disruption. Rather, we talk about its experience disruption. So we started off by asking John to tell us about the moment he found out HubSpot was going to kill the sales funnel. Let me set the tone. It's uh, springtime 2018, and we're gearing up for our annual inbound event. And inbound for HubSpot is a, a really big deal. Uh, we have you know 25,000 people come to Boston, uh, you know, from marketing, sales, customer success uh, teams, and uh, our founder Brian. Um, gives a, a keynote every year. It's a, it's, a, it's a big keynote. And he spends a lot of time working on his point of view in advance of the keynote. So, so it's springtime and uh, I get this email from Brian and it basically says, I think it's time to kill the funnel and I think we should start embracing this idea of the flywheel. Now at the time, the signature on my response to Brian said, John Dick, VP of Funnel Marketing. So oh, I was really? Like, <laughs> 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 so I was a little concerned by it. And my first reaction was, well, there goes that. Uh, Should I right. be dusting up my CV? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, what are you talking about? The funnel is the most incredible model to help align sales and marketing teams to help figure out where to focus your, your marketing efforts. Uh, the funnel has been, you know, a great, great tool for me and has served me well. I think you're crazy, Brian. And uh, over the course of a few months, Brian convinced me that the flywheel truly was uh, an important step forward for how companies think about growth. Uh, and now I'm a, I'm a big flywheel advocate, uh, and I realize the error of my ways. And it, it's, not, it's not that the, the, the funnel uh, wasn't right, but I think it was a tool for a time that has passed. Um, and I think that the flywheel as a, as a growth concept um, is much more aligned with the way that companies need to think about growth today because, you know, funnels are a linear construct whereby, you know, every month or every quarter, your marketing team puts in a bunch of energy at the top and your sales team tries to convert some of it. And what comes out the bottom? A customer. What happens to that customer? Who cares? The funnel does not care about what happens to that customer. 
Flywheel, on the other hand, um, puts customers right at the center of growth. Uh, and it puts your um, marketing team, your sales team, and your customer success team all focused on spinning that flywheel faster. And so for me, I think that's just a, a more modern construct for how to think about growth. It'd be good to um, just touch on like practically how does this show up? Because I think, you know, like conceptually, like it makes a lot of sense. Like, of course, let's all put the customer at the heart of it and let's go for customer outcomes, both, you know, at the early consideration stage in marketing and, you know, when they're early in the sales process and when they sign up and the handover, like, of course, it makes sense that that should be focused around the customer. Um, how does it actually show up differently to a funnel? Because we all need leads and we all look at conversions and we all, you know, need to sign up customers and we all need to service them well. Like, so it'd be good to just understand from a practical standpoint, um, if, if, if you sort of embrace this modern flywheel approach, what's actually different? It's a really good question because a flywheel model still has leads. It still looks at conversion rate. You still look at those things to be sure that you are efficient. But I think there's a couple of conceptual shifts that occur when you start thinking about the flywheel. Right. Um, and, I, and I think the first is uh, just that flywheels inherently look at conversion rates in a different way. They approach conversion rates from the perspective of friction. The concept of friction, I think, is incredibly relevant in a flywheel model. And I think any of us, if we look at our entire buying experience, like it's really easy to figure out where all the friction is, right? And if you just focus on, well, how do I strip that friction out? Then that is what's actually going to improve all of your conversion rates um, and change your buying experience. And so some of it like is a conceptual shift that I think leads to a tactical shift. Yes. But the other thing that, that I think... Uh, is particularly relevant to putting customers at the center of your growth is that, you know, if you want to run an inbound marketing model in the year 2019, 2020, like, you know, HubSpot has a, a CRM, we're a CRM business at our core. Mm -hmm. And if you do a Google search for best CRM, like, what do you think the top results are? HubSpot is great at SEO and we're <laughs> not the top result. Because right. the top result is Captera and G2 and all of the review sites that are aggregating what people around the web and your customers are actually saying about you. And so, you know, just taking or organic search, which is probably at the heart of, of so many companies go to market strategies, you have to put your customers at the center of your growth if you want to win in an organic strategy in 2019, 2020. So um, that's just a couple examples, I think, of how the flywheel changes your thinking. That's a good point. And you can't, you can't fake those outputs and those measures. <laughs> like either you have a raving group of uh, customers who love the service and, 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 and who you are and then that, that then shows up. And so therefore, if you put customers at the heart of that, as opposed to just shoving them through a funnel and signing up people no matter what, um, then that's, that's not going to get you those outcomes. Yeah. It's had uh, big impacts also on how we think about budgeting. Um, you know, I think our marketing team used to only be focused on you know, how do we do demand gen for new business, mm -hmm. right? And now we're saying, well, hey, look, those same automation tactics that uh, work really well to um, provide a great experience to prospects can work for your customers as well. And so what we're seeing is every department now kind of goes all the way around the flywheel and has specialties that they bring to the table to um, serve both prospects and customers. Um, and so, you know, an increasing amount of our marketing budget is going towards uh, how we market to our customers um, and how we engage with our customers. An increasing amount of our budget is going to uh, improving 
um, metrics like NPS of our product um, that we just believe if we improve that over time, it's going to spin our flywheel faster. And it's working. It's paying off for us. And that's an interesting shift, actually, John, because, you know, historically with with a funnel model, as you're saying, the marketing team probably never looked at existing customers as a potential, you know, opportunity for more sales, either a rebuy, um, an upsell, or maybe a referral, right? Um, these are all ways that you can grow your business um, and probably much cheaper and easier than acquiring. Um, there's that old, that, uh, that age old saying of... Um, it costs more to acquire a new customer than to keep an existing one. Um, have you seen some examples of cost benefits uh, of doing this as well? I think the reason to embrace a flywheel model is is not cost savings. I think you can save costs. The reason to embrace the flywheel model is you can create a better customer experience. Like, you know, we are, are particularly passionate at HubSpot about, um, you know, creating great customer experience. We care about it deeply. And, um, you know, we have a very robust marketing automation program, right? And, you know, as we apply that automation program to our customers and get more and more savvy about how to send, you know, really relevant, targeted, personalized communications to our customers, our North Star for that is not, oh, we can get cost savings uh, on our support team. Our North Star is we can actually create a much better customer experience. We can help our customers be more successful. And that for us, I think, is the motivator. And you know, if you get some cost savings out of that, I think that's great. And I would reinvest them right back into your product to drive up NPS, which if you look at HubSpot's sales and marketing spend versus R&D spend is, is kind of what we're trying to do. I wanted to ask about um, HubSpot's unique view on on sales and marketing, and you've come up with a phrase "smarketing," where <laughs> uh, you see it as the same team. Obviously, you're VP of marketing, so I'm sort of interested in how that works with uh, uh, on the sales side. But could you maybe talk us through a little bit about you know the the, the smarketing side of things? Definitely. Uh, the first thing I would say is uh, that I would argue that Smurvices is the new okay. marketing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh, in extending your your marketing approach beyond just sales and marketing, but also to include your your customer service team, your customer success team, is actually a, a an even more relevant and timely way to think about cross team alignment. But the concept of marketing uh, has been around for for a few years now, and it's something that HubSpot uh, both practices and preaches. Um, but it's it's really about how you can get deep alignment between your sales and marketing team. Um, and I think all of us who have been on either side of that table, like the tension can just get so real so quickly between a sales and marketing team where, you know, marketing is saying, well, I, I got enough leads and sales says, well, I didn't hit my number. Um, and so there, there's tension around that. And so there's a couple of pillars, I think, to um, what makes marketing successful. But the most important one is creating a, a shared metric um, that actually uh, you both agree to that, that measures success. Um, we call that an SLA at HubSpot um, between the marketing team and the sales team. And we have SLAs at HubSpot both ways. So um, our marketing team has an SLA to generate a certain amount of um, qualified demand for our sales team, QLs. And at HubSpot, we've taken a very strict definition of what a qualified lead is. Um, it's, it's literally only somebody who um, is raising a hand to talk to the sales team. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we don't use a, a scoring algorithm um, at HubSpot for that. We try and keep a really strict definition on that. Um, and so we say, hey, we're going to produce a certain... Um, 
you know, amount of expected revenue every month for each sales team uh, based on the volume of, of QLs that we bring in. And the sales team SLA to us is we're going to work those all within a certain amount of time. And so we just have this core dashboard that we all can look at and say, okay, like uh, if, if we're hitting uh, and you're not, then uh, we have to look at the funnel metrics uh, related to, to close rates and things like that. If you're hitting and we're not, then we have something else in the model we need to look at. How does this evolve to Smervices, which I assume is sales marketing and then customer service is the third element, right? I think a couple things happen. I think number one, we're seeing more and more companies um, combine their marketing team, their sales team, and their customer success team into a single org. Um, we've just gone through this process at HubSpot and um, it's run not by a chief revenue officer, but by a chief customer officer. Oh, interesting. And there are other companies that have done the same thing. Dropbox has done the same thing. Inevitably, by bringing those three teams together, it really allows for deep services alignment because you have a single leader who can make the trade-offs between the teams around how they want to invest, um, what the growth expectations are, um, how much more they want to lean into marketing or automation, um, et cetera. Um, so I think number one is, is I think we're seeing more companies just inherently organize themselves in a way that um, drives services alignment. Um, and then I think on the, on the metric side, you know, we do some level of, um, similar metric definition, um, with our services team as a marketing org. Um, and it, we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what it is. Um, when, when I started talking about services with our, our customer success team and our, our customer service team, um, they were kind of like, how come it doesn't work as naturally with us as it does with sales. Like sales and marketing just seem to work really well. And, you know, customer success in marketing, like we're figuring it out, but it's not as natural. And we spent a little time thinking about like why that was. And and I think one is that, you know, one reason is that sales and marketing kind of can't exist without each other. Whereas a customer success team really can kind of exist on its own. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but it, it kind of can. And historically at many companies, it has existed on its own. A second big reason is that there's a leading indicator in the form of that SLA, right? Like leads are a predictor of future success of a team. And most customer uh, success teams measure themselves more, I think, on lagging indicators um, versus leading indicators. And so I think as you start to embrace a Smervis's mindset, um, I'm still getting used to saying the word services. <laughs> you guys could totally veto it. You could be like, it's not working. You should. This is the first time I've ever put it oh, in the wow. wild. Uh, <laughs> We're breaking your grant here. It's an exclusive. In many ways, it's just, it's a customer organization, you know, hence the, and so it's a customer team uh, and everyone's got a role to play at a different stage in that customer's journey, um, but you're all in service for the customer. Um, so it's sort of a nice way to, to wrap it all together. I guess a, an interesting follow-on from that, John, is you know how do you align each of these unique? I suppose I won't call them teams anymore because we're we're grouping uh, together for a common objective. But maybe they're unique disciplines. How do you how do you align them around similar um, goals and KPIs? Because you're talking there about leading and lagging indicators. Um, a customer success team has you know probably 
in most organizations and NPS. Yeah, or a churn focus, yeah. Yeah, I suppose churn, you know, from a negative perspective, NPS from a positive one or, you know, like issues resolved or, you know, tickets solved and that kind of stuff. But how do you align all of these different disciplines around a, a key um, goal and objective? I mean, I think number one, when you move to being a customer organization, um, you know, you move away from a world where sales cares about uh, new revenue and uh, customer success cares about retention. And you move to a world, um, at least in SaaS, where the whole organization cares about, you know, net revenue, um, which is a big mindset shift. And if you play that out in the incentives of the team members, it becomes a pretty big incentive shift too. Um, you know, if you are a sales rep, you not only now need to think about, you know, how much new revenue do I bring in the door, but you also need to say, well, am I actually expanding my existing accounts? And am I spending time to be sure that the people that I sold and I, and I now own are, are being successful um, and that uh, we're delivering on the promise that we, we said our software could deliver for them? And is it the right revenue, right? Like um, if, if you sell somebody on false promises or, you know, like they're not the right fit for your product, then they're just going to churn two months later. And then that doesn't hurt. I mean, in the old model, the funnel model, that would hurt a different team because they didn't retain a customer. But it, now it hurts you because that's your, your objective as well as the salesperson. That's right. Yeah, I'd be interested in how your journey and how you've implemented this and also whether you've looked to other organizations or just where you see some good examples of this in the wild. Yeah, absolutely. As we started to really get into this flywheel thing, we realized that the companies that were implementing the flywheel successfully were all like massive disruptors in their industry. In the US, you've got companies like Stitch Fix um, that are you know, disrupting the retail industry. Um, and you've got companies like Atlassian, you know, there, there's Peloton, there's um, a whole range of companies that have gone to market with just uh, really unique customer first approaches. Um, and what we realized was that they were disruptors to their industries, but they were not technology disruptors. Like it wasn't their unique tech that was causing the disruption. It was actually the customer experience that was causing the disruption. Um, and it caused us to kind of coin this new term called experience disruption and uh, start to obsess about companies that are experienced disruptors. And one of the best examples we could find was Atlassian. Um, and, you know, I think we have a huge uh, crush on them as a company. <laughs> and we really try to <laughs> emulate a lot of what they do. Um, and, and it's not just, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of things about them. A couple examples I would share that I think are really powerful about Atlassian's model um, and the way they've implemented it. Um, you know, the first is they invest way more in people to coach new users as opposed to people to sell new customers. Um, and so they've got this mindset of saying, well, you know, if we have uh, humans available to, you know, contribute to the sales process, uh, the best thing we could do was have those humans just focused on making our free signups become more successful. You know, a second big thing they did is they said, hey, we're just not going to offer discounts. There's no negotiation. Like the price is the price. And we're going to take all that friction of you uh, feeling like you didn't get the best deal uh, and feeling like you didn't get a fair price just out of the experience altogether. Um, and it's a whole series of things that they've done like that, that I think we really admire and, and think is kind of the, the future of how you implement a model like this. 
Wow, there's so, <laughs> there's so much here that I, I want to um, uh, dig into. I love this concept of experience disruption um, and the fact that these organizations are leading with experience because I think it's it's almost like implicit or I think a lot of people just think, oh, these are the new technology players. And so there's even like language like pure play, right? Like so these guys are pure play online. So therefore they have an advantage because like we have all this like old legacy stuff. And of course, a lot of that is true. Like it's hard to, you know, get um, to change a whole bunch of legacy stuff. But actually what you're saying is it's actually not the tech that's the differentiator. It's the fact that they've led with a customer uh, and obviously a customer experience led focus. Um, I'm sort of interested in where did this aha moment come from where you realize that it's actually not tech disruption, but it's experience disruption. You know, I think the first thing we did was we kind of looked at the whole world of like B2C disruption over the last few years. And, you know, I already mentioned uh, a whole bunch of those companies. Um, Other companies though, of course, like, like Spotify come into the mix all the time. And um, in B2C, everyone's like, Oh, I get it. And we kind of asked the question, well, is that happening in B2B also? Mm-hmm. And it is, right? You look at uh, Slack and you look at Zoom and, you you know, in the U.S. we have a company called EasyCater um, to deliver lunch. And, and what we're finding was that all these like really incumbent um, players in the market were, were being disrupted by these new players. And... Yes, of course, like Zoom's technology uh, is is particularly powerful and it works particularly well and it's easy, but it's really the fact that they make it so easy to get started mm-hmm. and to use it that that is what has made them so successful, I believe. Um, and it's, it's their sales model and it's everything about how they've approached their whole go-to-market. And so when we saw that happening in B2B also, we were like, wow, something is really happening here. So we spend a bunch of time trying to think about like what were the adaptations that um, characterized these experience disruptors? Yeah, that was going to be my next mm. question, actually. What are some hallmark attributes of organizations that are, you know, either leading this experience disruption or you would grade them well? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there were four that stood out to us, attributes anyway. Um, I think the first was um, this idea of shifting from a mindset of product market fit Mm -hmm. to experience market fit. And uh, experience disruptors still have product market fit, but they they recognize that that's table stakes. Mm -hmm. That is not the thing that is going to get them uh, to their hyper growth. And they realize that it's the experience market fit uh, that is is what's going to really drive their success. yeah, so I, I think an example we talk about a lot and that, um, you know, Brian, uh, our CEO and co-founder talked about at Inbound this year was a company called Carvana. Um, and it's, uh, you know, over the past five years has become the largest car dealership in the US. But um, what caused their hyper growth was this experience market fit. And they said, hey, you know what's horrible about buying a car? Number one, the negotiation. Like you never know where you stand. Like you've got to shake a lot of hands. You've got to, you know, have small talk. You've got to, you know, bring your own research to the table. It's horrible. And then you've got to go into some office with some other guy and you've got to fill out a bunch of paperwork and you've got to, you know, pay your taxes and you've got to get it registered. And it's just a horrible experience. And Carvana, if you buy through them, they will do it all for you. They'll deliver it to your door and then they will uh, give you a seven day uh, return policy on the vehicle. Um, and so they just took all the things that are horrible about buying a car and they said, we're just going to strip all that out. And, um, you know, we found experience market fit on that. 
just for those who, who are listening who maybe aren't super familiar with some of the, the software terms that you're using around like product market fit um, and then to experience market fit, do you mind just, just touching on that um, just briefly? Yeah, product market fit um, is talked about a lot in the the tech space around kind of um, when the product you're building uh, is actually matching the needs of the market that you're trying to serve. Um, and a lot of companies spend a lot of time building stuff and it doesn't really take off. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people would say those companies haven't found product market fit yet. So probably also on that point worth defining experience market fit uh, as well. Yeah, so I think we would think about experience market fit similar to product market fit, which is where the experience you've built about how people uh, buy your product matches the expectations of the market. Well, John, welcome to the Quickfire Round. This is our Lightning Game Show segment where you've got 10 seconds to answer each question. Are you ready? Ready. All right. First question is... What brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? I look mainly to brands like Netflix uh, as an example of great customer experience. They are uh, the ultimate personalization company, and I think personalization is at the heart of great customer experience. Mm, very good, very good. What did uh, you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a police officer. Oh, yeah? And then I wanted to be in the army, and then I wanted to be a scientist. And then I wanted to be an actor. And then I wanted to be a marketer. (laughs) John, what skill are you terrible at? Terrible at remembering names. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm terrible at receiving uh, critical feedback on something I've just said or done. Mm. (laughs) Sometimes knowing your weakness is your greatest strength. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Five minutes later, after the feedback, I can receive it incredibly well. But in the moment, it takes a minute. John, what are you reading right now? Oh, well, I just finished uh, the Bob Iger biography uh, on Disney, and I've swung back now and I'm reading this uh, science science fiction book called uh, Damon. Um, it's about this computer programmer who dies and he unleashes this uh, uh, background computer program on the world. It's pretty awesome. Oh, interesting. Sounds fascinating. Who's someone that you really admire? My wife recently gave birth to our first child, and I would say my admiration level for my wife, Katie, is incredibly high right now. Yeah. Uh, watching a, a new mother at work is uh, very humbling and very incredible. Great answer and uh, concur. Um, what's a non-work-related thing that you're into right now? It may link in with the previous question. <laughs> oh, well, before we had our daughter, I was learning how to sail. Uh, in the ocean, and I had this vision of going on a, a, a Caribbean sailing trip, maybe oh, yeah. for uh, a, a big anniversary or something. But uh, that seems like it might take a back burner with the baby <laughs> for a, a little while. John, where do you go to upskill? You know, books or podcasts or YouTube. What's your uh, what's what's your channel of choice? I've been listening to a lot of books, audiobooks. Yeah, so. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of audiobooks. I have actually been enjoying audiobooks a little bit more than podcasts recently. I've found the kind of the continuous narrative to be uh, pretty enjoyable. Uh, I drive nice. to work every day, spend time with the baby. So, And lastly, what is your guilty pleasure? Reading sci-fi books. <laughs> <laughs> I've crushed like 30 or 40 of them a year. I just like oh roll through my them. Gosh. It's great. That's huge. It's great.
So I want to make sure we cover the four attributes. So yeah, the first attribute is that they've moved from just thinking about product market fit and they're thinking about experience market fit. And it sounds like that experience fit is going to be a bit different for each organization. And you could, I suppose, dial that up on the extremes where you're doing something completely new in the experience, or you could just make sure that that's a, a core focus and you're going you know, beyond um, expectations. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the easiest way to look at it is, you know, as a consumer, look at the experiences that impress you and say, how do I do some of those things for my customers? So what are the other item two, three, and four? Yeah, so I think uh, a second big thing we observed was this idea of uh, they had the flywheel at their core. And what that means is that they obsess about stripping friction out. I talked about it last year as a really good example of that. But, um, you know, I think that these experienced disruptors obsess about friction points um, and they obsess about trying to strip those out. Um, handoffs between multiple people on your side in the buying process, uh, back and forths over email. A really simple example is um, if somebody can't buy your product through your website, you're creating friction for them. And all the experience disruptors make it incredibly easy to buy their product. I just want to give a good example here because I think often when you think friction, it's sort of like, well, how do I maybe take friction away from the digital process, like in the sign up or what have you? And I think they're all right. Um, but actually, I had a recent experience with my, my telco provider, Telstra, actually, and you know, got a new service and what have you. And what they do, like normally you just kind of have the retail transaction and then you go home and then they, you know, and then you're in this other world of like pain. But what they do now is um, the person who served you gives you their card with their cell number, their mobile phone number. And it's like, I'm going to be your point of contact, like for anything from here on out. Like, and you're like, whoa, like this is a massive organization and I can call, you know, who sold me this product, but they're putting their their their, num their direct number available, like from here on out. Um, and so that's a really great example of just kind of reducing some of that friction thereafter. Now, I may go through the normal help desk process or what have you, but there's sort of this emergency fallback, you know, and then it's kind of like, wow, that's actually taking away a lot of friction because, you know, I now have to go home and there's this complex thing and what if it doesn't work? Now, I know that I have a human that I've got a personal relationship with that I can call on at any time. I think there's little things like that that actually show up as really great um, sort of friction removers. That's an incredible example. I had a recent experience with my telco provider uh, that was the opposite. Instead of being an experience, <laughs> instead of being an experienced disruptor, they disrupted my experience. Oh, um, good lord! <laughs> as as you may or may not have noticed, my, my last name is as uh, a profane word. Uh, it's been a a burden I've had for my whole life, and I attempted to buy new internet from my telco provider right. on their their website, and um, they asked me to enter. A, a legal name. Oh, wow. And and so they rejected me because of my last name. And uh, so I, I chatted with an agent on their website. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, <laughs> you know, they've got chat here. This is low friction. I can chat with them. They can solve it. And the chat agent was like, oh, no, you're going to have to call someone. Uh, we, we can't process your last name. So I called somebody and they <laughs> charged me to talk to them in order to buy internet because Good I was luck. talking to a person. <laughs> And I had to get an IT an IT supervisor to override my last name um, in the system. Uh, so I, I had the, the opposite with my telco. Good Lord, good Lord. <laughs> so we're uh, we're halfway through the four attributes uh, and exploring them as exploring them as we go. So uh, let's uh, let's keep the journey going. Okay. Uh, third one is personalization. 
Uh, and uh, what we found is that the experience disruption companies really uh, obsess about personalization. And, and I think what we saw in the companies we looked at um, that that were doing great job with personalization is that all of them had moved beyond the, the concept of persona mm-hmm. to kind of the concept of clustered targeting. And so we saw that in you know, online uh, retail, you know, personal styling services like Stitch Fix. We saw that in Netflix. We saw that in Spotify. All these companies have tried to make your experience better by learning about you. And I think the best companies and the best marketers are are investing now and saying, well, hey, how do I use the data that I have to try and, and take friction out and try and actually create a better experience through some personalization? And Personalization, I feel like was kind of, there's like a hierarchy of needs of it. And like, we've kind of been stuck in like the lowest level, which is like first name and email. Most companies have kind of figured that out. And uh, we all as an industry, I think need to push beyond that if we're going to create great experience. Uh, And then I think the last attribute is, um, you know, instead of selling to your customers, selling through your customers. Um, And you know, we talked about a number of very practical reasons that um, getting your customers involved in your sale matters. Um, you know, number one, people barely trust your sales and marketing team. Number two, the the primary communication channels that most sales and marketing teams use, which are you know email and phone, are just losing their efficacy at, at a pretty rapid scale. And three, I think you know your search engines are just fundamentally changing to value your customer's opinion over your website's opinion. Um, so selling through your customers w- was kind of the fourth attribute. And when you say selling through your customers, you're basically saying all your sales and marketing efforts are focused on customers being advocates through the process and that your customers are your strongest advocates. That's right. It's a an age-old concept, yeah. right? That your, your customers are your best advertising. I think it's just um, there have been different periods within you know, marketing where there have been different arbitrage opportunities, you know, from, you know, 2000 to 2015, search was a huge arbitrage opportunity. And um, so many companies have done such a a great job with that. Um, And now I think um, leaning back into customers and customer advocacy is a huge arbitrage opportunity. And every company should be thinking about it. It's really about shifting the model towards trying to facilitate um, word of mouth, really, from from your customers. That's right. I mean, if I look at um, even my own business, um, Michael, you're probably the same, same with HubSpot. The strongest and easiest and most efficient um, new customers and, and sales processes come from a recommendation word of mouth, someone who's had a good experience with you. That makes the whole process a lot easier. Um, but that can only happen if you're doing your services um, earlier up the up the food chain which is you know really focusing on the customer customer success their success is your success and then they will obviously bring more people into that tribe I suppose um, if they really believe in what you're doing yep that's right what every company can do um, and it works better for different um, types of products of course is build a referral program before I joined HubSpot uh, three and a half years ago I worked at an online retailer and Referrals was our highest converting, most profitable, you know, source of acquisition of new customers. And we were willing to pay for that and pay prettily. Um, So I would advise every company to look at that as an opportunity for them and to say, you know, how do we reward our customers 
or uh, allow our customers to give a gift away to a, a friend of theirs um, of, of our service. John, to kind of finish up, I want to um, I just want to bring us all the way back to the start of our discussion where you were giving us um, this beautiful picture of, you know, um, the death of the funnel and Brian's keynote at, uh, at the inbound conference. And, um, and I'm just wondering if you can tell us a bit of a story about how HubSpot looks today a few years on from that. Yeah, so HubSpot uh, has, has changed a lot. Number one, we are organized now as a flywheel team, as a customer team. And, you know, because of that, we are starting to invest differently. And if you look at all the places that we really are putting our marketing dollars, um, you know, incrementally, it's all in better customer experience. Um, It's all in helping our customer success team improve how they engage uh, with, with all of our customers really successfully. You know, I think that we obviously, you know, look at a, a wider range of metrics to evaluate the overall health of our business. And we look at the change in those, you know, instead of just looking at, you know, leads and customers, I think we also are trying to to look at how much friction we're putting in the process. I think we're trying to look at what the NPS of users uh, is and the NPS of customers. And we ask for a lot of feedback on our process and we, and we take it seriously. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, how do you how do you actually measure some of this stuff? Like, how do you measure? You know, there's there's no friction meter <laughs> um, that comes in, and there's no like there's no measurement of yes, you're doing good personalization. Thank you. Um, I, I think there are friction meters. It's in, called your unsubscribe rate. Oh, nice. Right, like look at your unsubscribe rate. Look at the percent of people you respond to within 20 seconds on chat. Challenge yourself to be world class at those things. And uh, you know, I would say. You know, we had this realization, uh, you know, probably two years ago that unsubscribe rate was probably the best proxy for whether or not we were creating a, a high friction buying experience in through automation. Um, and so we've really focused on trying to bring that down. And honestly, we look at the same for our customers. You can look at your customer database and you can see what the unsubscribe rate is on, on your emails. And that will give you a really good gauge of whether your customers want to engage with you or not. Mm. Actually, on that point, um, because you probably, you know, you're moving into this new way of thinking. What are some of the new measurements actually? Because, yeah, like we all know the traditional measurements of the, the funnel. Um, so, you know, having an obsession about the unsubscribe measurement is important. What are some others that stand out in, you know, effectively you're, you're looking at customer engagement, um, like how, how much are they, you know, truly engaged with you as a brand and your product and through that process? I'm sort of interested in, um, in, in, in those new metrics that come out. We are starting to measure, uh, you know, people's experience with chat by asking them uh, for an NPS at the end of a chat session. Oh, interesting. And actually, out of interest, do you know some of the world-class metrics for these? Like you mentioned just in passing, like answer a chat within 10 seconds. It'd actually be good to just have a little list of top-line metrics and, you know, what is world-class to kind of shoot towards. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, our goal is to... uh, get to a very high percentage within 20 seconds. Okay. Um, and that has come a little bit from uh, the world of customer support, best practice metrics. Mm-hmm. I think for sales and marketing, it honestly needs to be faster. And we've started to break out our charts um, by five second response, 10 second response and 20 second. And now that we've gotten to a good 20 second mark, we're starting to lean forward more. All right, I'm going to go to the hubspot.com and have a chat now. Let's yeah. see how we go. <laughs> A couple other new metrics that we are starting to look at, um, you know, obviously we are looking at 
customer churn like we always have, but we also are looking at customer onboarding and activation. We call it activation. Um, but what percent of our customers successfully activate onto our products and within what time? Um, I think we have this noble concept that uh, we are starting to try and measure of how do we truly measure if customers are getting value from our product. And that that's kind of our holy grail there. Another interesting metric that we are measuring is our percentage of five-star reviews on top review sites. So we're starting to track that and we have a team that is focused on trying to uh, improve that. And I think the, the real magic um, here, John, and this is probably always a work in progress, is like linking these data points together. So, you know, when you do the 10-second response time, does that lead to more successful activations and more five-star reviews and less churn and these kinds of things? Uh, I can tell you with certainty that speeding up your response time has had a very positive impact on our business. Uh, and it's viewable in terms of, uh, you know, percent of those people who go on to buy and the volume of uh, overall people who want to buy through that channel. Yeah, awesome. All right. We're well, already a couple of steps along that path, I guess, to, to really building out that metric suite. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, John, that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleasure to meet you both. Well, Michael, another fantastic episode of Customer Experience Leaders. Indeed. This time with uh, John Dick from HubSpot, which uh, is a brand that both you and I have uh, admired from afar for quite a while for their great content marketing and, and their beautiful inbound approach to marketing and sales. Yeah, for those who aren't, who aren't aware, like HubSpot basically invented the term inbound marketing and this concept of you shouldn't just advertise to find customers, but build meaningful content and then have that relationship because you've been helpful with content and then they come um, into you. So, you know, HubSpot are well known for taking a very uh, customer-centric approach uh, in their marketing. And then, you know, now in this conversation, it's clear that they're zooming out uh, and taking an even bigger picture view. So, yeah, I think in terms of takeaways, Adam, like I'm really looking forward to this chat. Like the, the first thing that really, really stood out for me is this concept that it's not tech disruption. Like I think everyone thinks about it as tech disruption, but it's experience disruption. And it's not Mm. just a play on words, but it's a really important thought process because I think a lot of organizations go, oh, like, you know, there's a startup that can just do like some cool tech and then maybe they've got a good idea and then they get some funding and like they can disrupt this traditional industry. But actually what's happening is it's not like sure tech is part of it at times, but it's actually organizations or current brands that are, you know, offering new services. They're starting with, well, what's the ideal experience? You know, I think he mentioned Peloton as an example. And um, I was in the US recently on a family holiday and Peloton um, was around in these different Westfields and you could you could experience it. And effectively what they do is they have like a very high quality treadmill or exercise bike, but then they've, they've got some cool stuff where there's a screen and you can interact and you can, you know, compete with friends and like go, do classes and ride around the Italian Alps and all this type of stuff. But what's great about like, sure, the product's really good, but they just make it so easy and accessible. Like, hey, like jump on and like, oh, you want to try this out? Cool. Like, you know, for $30 a month, you can have this, you know, in your house. Um, and so what they've done is rather than going to like a traditional retailer where there's like 20 different treadmills there, you know, starting from $500 to, you know, $5,000 and sort of this big purchase of like, I'm going to buy this equipment and it's got like these traditional buttons. They've actually taken something and they're going, well, what's the best experience mm. for the customer? And so I think, you know, it's a long way of saying, you know, starting with the experience and finding ways to make that better is actually where the disruption is, not just tech. 
So the second takeaway from this episode that I liked um, hinges on this really beautifully funny piece of jargon, which was Smurvises. <laughs> it sounds so silly. I think you're something out of a Smurf movie or something. Um, it sounds hilarious, but I actually think it's super powerful. Um, so John talked about this example of you know how they've got this chief customer officer, which in itself actually is is just a really great um, way to be customer centric. But you've got this chief customer officer and all of marketing and all of sales and all of your service team report into into them. And I think what probably historically has happened in a lot of organizations and is frankly probably still happening is that a lot of these departments will, you know, conflict and compete with each other. They have opposing objectives in, in some areas. But when you take on this Smervices mindset and you have a chief customer officer that oversees all of this, um, you're now getting those teams aligned with each other and they have shared vision and a shared objective and shared metrics that they can work towards. So, I thought that was a really powerful way to think about it. Yeah, completely. Yeah, that sort of leads me to the, the other big takeaway that I had was that to do this stuff, like to actually go down the path of experience disruption and to practically pull it together um, with services, like you kind of need new wave of metrics to go hand in hand with that, like to practically implement this stuff and to know whether you're moving along the right track, especially important for, you know, organizations that have the old way running, because like if you're a new organization, you could just say, you know, start all this from scratch. But, you know, if you've got traditional ways where you're, you know, obsessing about just the sales conversion only as an example, then implementing some of these new wave metrics is a great way to go on this journey. And so I think there's sort of three like angles that sort of come to mind, like, you know, is around, you know, what's a customer's expectations, um, you know, what's their experience and then sort of how engaged are they with you? It's clear from this conversation is that a customer expectation is that I can speak to any brand um, and get a response within 10 seconds. And so, well, a new wave metric could just be, can our customers do that, right? You know, their experience, you know, clearly NPS is a gold standard, but you can measure um, experience at different points in their journey and at different points throughout that and having a shared language around, you know, experience and, and alignment around it. And then engagement, right? Like there's a whole range of really great engagement. Like the worst one is obviously when a customer churns or leaves you or stops spending money with you. But there's actually a range of other engagement metrics like what's the unsubscribe rate of our newsletter or the open rate of our newsletter. Like if only 5%, 10% are reading your newsletter, then you're not really delivering value, right? Like you're probably just spamming the messages that you want them to know but they're not engaged with you like as a brand, um, as an example. So I think, you know, thinking about um, services, thinking about experience disruption, like a good way for it to practically come to life is um, implementing and, you know, slowly introducing some of these new, new wave metrics. Yeah, absolutely. So for takeaway number four, what I really love from this discussion was uh, how focused HubSpot and, and John and his team are on removing friction from, uh, from experiences. And we've actually done an entire episode of, uh, on this a couple of months ago with Roger Dooley. It was episode 44, if you want to go back and check it out. Just to demonstrate this, I, I want to use your example that you were using before, Mike, which was around Peloton, the, the exercise bikes, and how they've you know removed friction from the experience. I mean, the first element of, of friction uh, that you might experience when you're trying to get an exercise regime is just going to the gym kind of is hard and and you know you got to get out especially if it's early in the morning it's cold you got to put the gym gear on and get sweaty and like i mean there's there's good things um that come from that but there's a lot of friction in doing that so if you can get it into your own home that removes a lot of that friction 
Now then the second bit of friction becomes, well, to buy an exercise bike and a good quality one is quite expensive. What one do I buy? Did I buy the right one? It's a pretty irreversible decision. They're quite big. Um, you know, it's going to cost in the thousands of dollars. And what I love what Peloton has done is basically you rent you rent the device. You know, it's like $30 a month or, or whatever the price was that you said. And it's, it's really risk-free. Um, to, frankly, $30 a month is cheaper than most gym memberships. And I don't have to leave home and I've got world-class equipment in my house. And so... Those are two of many, many examples about how a organization has managed to remove so much friction from uh, a customer engagement. And so I guess, you know, the challenge that I have to, uh, to anyone listening is think about the elements of friction in your pricing. Is it in your customer onboarding? Is it in, you know, your, your live chat? Um, is, is that taking too long? Where, where are the points of friction that you can remove from your organization and experiences? So, four wonderful takeaways. Let's sum them up. Yeah, sure. The first takeaway is it's not tech disruption. It is experience disruption. Takeaway number two is orient your organization around your customer by taking a Smervices mindset. Takeaway number three is easy way to get started is implementing some of these new wave of metrics around expectations, experience, and engagement. And takeaway number four is be obsessive about removing friction from the customer experience. Well, another great episode. And uh, I guess it's probably worth mentioning here that um, HubSpot's flywheel model is is a really great example of the new way of engaging with customers. And we also developed our own flywheel model for customer experience. We call it the CX flywheel, the customer experience flywheel. And that is a summary of the first 40 episodes of this podcast you're listening to right now, all summed up into one beautiful graphic with beautiful takeaways. And there's a whole episode we did on it. And that's episode 41 of Customer Experience Leaders. And on that note, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, obviously feel free to recommend it to friends. That really helps us out. Oh, and also like Adam and I love to hear from you. So we're super accessible. Just uh, find us on LinkedIn, like our uh, details are in the show notes and send us a personal message. We love to hear what you thought of an episode or something that you'd like to hear in the future or just even say hi, say, hey, this episode was really, really helpful. That really gives us a good steer of, you know, where, where to take, uh, take the show. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rate It, the new and better way to listen to your customers. Rate It is an omni-channel way to capture, analyze, and interpret customer feedback and to help you act on what needs improving to grow your business. So to learn how Rate It can help you improve your organization's customer experience, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P dot com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. Our music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>